Hi, and welcome to the podcast ministry of New Life Church in Springfield, Ohio. We hope that the transformative truths of God's Word impact, challenge, and bless you. We'll start in Luke chapter 22. Now, this, uh, a few of the things that I want to, uh, to bring forth and want to talk about today um, are spoken in three different Gospels. The Synoptic Gospels... Um, Synoptic means to see together. So uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all Jesus' disciples, and whenever they tell the story of who Jesus was, they're telling it because they were very close in relationship with him. They knew who he was and walked with him. You know, they're, they're, they actually saw this happen. And so sometimes you'll read something that appears in one gospel and it doesn't appear in the other gospel. Um, you know, Matthew might have seen that he might have been in the room when something happened, and you know, John might have been, you know, he was outside changing or something like that. So it's really great instead of just getting one person's perspective on who Jesus is. Uh, he gives us these four different ones, these Gospels that all see things together. They never contradict, but sometimes um, the accounts are differing because you know, they, they might have saw it a different way or been like from a different uh, point of view, and that's always important. So you can have something... Uh, you might have a church service today, and somebody might have been you know, looking through their Bible and not hearing one thing that I said, and the other person did hear it. Uh, somebody might have went to get a drink of water. You might hear different things, but it'll all be one word that goes forth. What I say will be what I say. What God does will be what God does. But you might experience it differently. You know what I mean? So we're so thankful for the synoptic gospels that give us just a greater prism to view the person of Jesus Christ through so we can be more like him. Amen? So there are certain gospel of the story. So this person who was standing 10 feet away, he saw this. And the other person who was right next to Jesus, he might have heard this. Um, But it's all the same true gospel of Jesus Christ and the story. Luke chapter 22. Now the feast of unleavened unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him. Who's him? Jesus. For they feared the people. Uh, They they wanted to kill him, but they were afraid that the people might rise up. You know, he was a healer. He was a pretty popular guy at the time. Uh, If you healed you with leprosy, wouldn't you have some amount of loyalty? You would think so. Um, So they did not want to, you know, stir up the the natives, but they wanted to make sure that he, uh, he stopped doing what he was doing. So they feared the people. Verse 3 says, Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And sent... Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So they said to him, where do you want us to prepare? And he said, behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters, and you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says, furnished upper room, there make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them and prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it, was, it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this, divide it among yourselves. For I say, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. 
And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question among themselves which of them it was and who would do this thing. Let's skip down to verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to them, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you eat. Without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. He said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you, this which is written must be accomplished in me. He was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. So they said, look, Lord, there are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, and he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And when they came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then the angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him and being in agony, and he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer, he had come to his disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he asked to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And while he was still sleeping, behold, a multitude. And he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man? I said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And we understand from uh, the Synoptic Gospels, we know who that was. It was Peter. But Jesus answered and said, permit even this. Jesus said, let this happen. And he touched his ear and healed him. And Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and elders who had come to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And then an hour had passed, and another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. How he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that, uh, that you will give your anointing, God. As we read, we don't want to read without understanding, without being touched, without being led by your Holy Spirit, God. So communicate clearly to us what would you have us to hear, what would you have us to change about ourselves, God. Give us the true revelation of Jesus Christ, God. 
We thank you, Lord. We want to be your humble servants. We want to serve you in the spirit of love and the spirit of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. I read a lot of scripture there, and I love scripture, so that was great, right? We, you know, it's that we, we, want, we want to make sure we get full context whenever we read about what Jesus says. We don't want to just take you know, a few bits and pieces here and then make it what we want it to be or what makes sense to us, but uh, the greater the context, the greater the depth in which it can, uh, it can go into us and it can change us, amen? I want to identify immediately... Uh, five main characters in this passage of story. Uh, the first and most important passage or character in the story would be who? Jesus. Good answer. Good, solid Sunday school answer. You know, it's always Jesus. Jesus is the most important character in the story in this small passage. Um, the second one, which, like I said, you have to read all the Gospels. Let me tell you, church, you got to read your whole Bible. Same story in, you know, in, the, in this gospel, but have never read um, you know, what, what you know, the others have said. You're not going to know who that even was, who, which character it was that you know, outs with the sword. So even though uh, it's good to, uh, to read and to focus on one or two things, you've got to get context. If you don't, that is how you end up uh, with false doctrine. That's how you end up uh, you know, with, uh, with wrong understandings. Um, Luke says a lot, but he doesn't say exactly what Matthew says. So it's important to read and get the full context of God's word. So we do have another name because of what Matthew said. We know that Peter is the other guy in this story who's very, very important. Uh, and I would classify these two first guys, uh, you know, roll with me here, but they're, they're, they're on the good team. They're, on the, you know, they're the good guys, even though they're not perfect. Jesus is, is you know, only God is truly good, but uh, Peter's on the right team. He's trying to. He doesn't understand how to execute it, but he is, in the beginning of the story, very faithful, and he, wants, uh, he, want, he loves Jesus, and Jesus never says that you don't love me. He says, you're going to betray me, but he never accuses him of not loving him. Now, the, uh, the fourth character, or the, the third character that I will mention is Judas. Now, I will firmly put him into the bad guy camp in this context. Amen? Uh, he's, he, he's on the wrong side of things. Now, he, for, for two reasons. Number one, he, he has a lot of issues going way back. So he, he, he carries the money back. The Pharisees are getting even, you know, they're, they're hot and heavy. They're coming after Jesus and th that things are not going well. So he kind of shifts camps and goes and gets in, you know, in good with them, not only um, to get 30 pieces of silver, but also to have the goodwill of the, uh, of the Pharisees and the ruling people there. So now, he, he's ensconced himself in, on the wrong side, in the wrong camp. And then we have Satan. Satan is very firmly in the wrong camp. He's one of the two bad guys in the story here. I mean, would anyone disagree with that? Because we've got big problems there. Amen? Now, there's a third who I will, I'll let you decide. Um, the Word of God actually, in, Ma in the Matthew account of this passage, this story, gives him a name as well. Uh, so Matthew maybe has a little more attention to detail uh, in this. You know, he, Matthew is a, a good record keeper. And so he calls this man Malchus. And Malchus is the servant or slave, depending on translation, of the high priest. The high priest's name is Caiaphas. And Caiaphas is the one who absolutely hates Jesus. Okay, Jesus is a threat to his power. Uh, he's a threat to what he believes is the purity of doctrine and truth. And so Jesus has been absolutely a thorn in Caiaphas' flesh for a long time. And he's got this religious spirit on him. He hates him. Uh, he wants him dealt with. And he wants him dealt with in a way that is not straightforward. You know, it's not honest. You know, some, sometimes people will uh, want to deal with it, but they don't want to deal with it. You, know, you guys are in the middle of the night. What are you doing? Didn't I just see you yesterday? Didn't you have something to say to me yesterday? 
whenever, you know, it was the lights were on, whenever there was transparency, whenever, you know, anytime you have to do something like that in the middle of the night, you probably, you probably need to check yourself and say, why, why is it that I'm afraid of transparency? You know, some, some people will say stuff, you know, um, about you that they will never say to you. And you won't want to be like that. This is the spirit of Caiaphas. This is the spirit, uh, you know, that, that's kind of how I, how I would know that I was doing wrong. You know, if it's something that I, that, that, that I don't want to do in the open or abroad, you know, with the lights on, but they come to him in the middle of the night because they don't want all the people involved. So Caiaphas has a servant named Malchus. I'm going to leave Caiaphas out of the rest of the story for the most part because it's Malchus. And anyone know what the name Malchus means? Like I said, he's, a, he's not the most important hinge point character in all the Bible for sure. Um, but his name means king or kingdom. So we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're just going to call him a kingdom man. He, he is, that's literally what the term means. King or kingdom or constituted kingship. The kingdom. So there are five different main characters. Uh, Malchus' name means Kingdom. I think one of the things that Peter uh, misses initially, because this moment is um, Jesus has gone into, the, you know, into Jerusalem. He's there for the Passover. Now he has decided to go and pray you know, the night through. And the, you know, there's a crowd of people with torches, with clubs, you know, all, you know, and swords, the Word of God says. They're all coming to, you know, to get Jesus. And Judas Iscariot, um, you know, th- this man, has come all the way to, up to Jesus and has the audacity to kiss. I would be scared, wouldn't you? I mean, after the things I've seen this guy do, I wonder if he was a little bit scared. You, you, you would think so. I mean, this is literally a guy who can, uh, who, who can you know, make lepers. He can bring the dead back to life. Like, man, that was, about the, that was probably the most scary kiss in the world. Although he knew Jesus' heart enough to know how against violence and hatred and reactionary attacking that Jesus was. So I guess he still felt a little bit safe because he knew that Jesus was who he was and wasn't afraid of his power. Sometimes um, the love of Jesus can make it, you know, we, know, we think of him as, you know, there's this one big, you know, cosmic hug, and we forget that he is also righteousness. He is all, I mean, the next time that he, we see him in, in the flesh on earth, it is not going to be like a lamb. It is not, I don't know if you've read to the end of the book or what it says, but the next time you see him, um, you, you better be behind him. You, you better be on his side because he is coming. He's going to have a sword. He's going to be on a horse. He is going to uh, have eyes as a fire. Whenever he comes back, it's not going to be uh, you know, just a, a, bunch, a bunch of while the, you know, the, the, the docket is out and you can actually do that because there's only two teams. Now, I will just kind of finish telling you this story from, you know, from my lens, from my perspective. As Judas comes and he betrays him, um, Peter has some confusion. Now, if I'm Peter, this is fair, right? Um, Jesus has said just the day before, how many of you guys packing? No, don't, don't raise your hand. I'm saying that's what Jesus said, although some of you, you may be. Um, but Jesus says, you know, we're getting ready to go into Jerusalem, and Peter's like, oh, man, you know they're after us. You know they hate us. It's been getting pretty serious. I've been hearing rumors and stuff. And so Jesus looks back, and he's like, how many guys packing? And they're like, I, I, I got one. You know, Peter's got one. One other person had one. He's, and, and so they said, well, do we need more? Do we need to, you know, it, what's going on? And Jesus said, that's enough. That's plenty. You've got plenty there. And um, so I, I, I can understand a little bit Peter's maybe mixed signal. So he's like, he's thinking, you know, we're, we're supposed to defend him. We're supposed to be, you know, in the flesh. And so um, Peter's issue 
is that he doesn't understand what will be written, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and the rulers of darkness in high places. There's a spiritual warfare that we must never divorce our physical eyes from. It will not see things that should be cut. We'll we'll have problems. We'll never be uh, the kingdom people, the kingdom church, the the, the biblical servants that we need to be if we are focused only on the flesh and the the things that go wrong. You cannot address a spiritual problem with a flesh answer, with a physical answer. It'll never work. See, Peter forgot who the enemy actually was, and there were spirits of the enemy involved. How good are you, my friend, at attributing sin to its source and rebuking it there? Whenever you see a drug addict, it's very easy to see somebody who's making wrong decisions. Sometimes we don't see them as a slave. A slave to sin, a slave to those habits and to, and to, to what, what they have become bound by. And, you, and you, can do, you, can, you can put people through every program in the world, but unless there's a true transformation of the heart, um, there is no, there, there, it won't be fixed because at the very end of the program, you know, you, they, they might not be a, a, any longer addicted to a substance, but they're still at the very core someone who, who cares more about their self than they do anything else. And that takes the divine transformation that only the blood of Jesus can do. Matthew 26, um, you know, Caiaphas goes to him and talks to him and says, you know, I, I want to, you know, I, I kind of want to jump ship here. I want to I be traded. You know, I, you know, will somebody else pick up my contract? You know, because I want to play for the other team now. This seems like, um, you know, it seems like things are going downhill and I want to get off while, you know, while the getting is good. And I actually want to get some money out of it. It wasn't very much. You know, it was the price of one slave, the price that he received. But who actually betrayed Jesus to the Pharisees? That's an interesting question. Because you know, every time that, that we, we preach through this passage and we, we read this passage, there are some people who have like different opinions on what, what was Satan's position on the cross and on the passion. You know what I mean? Um, people, sometimes you'll hear a preacher you know, really get you know, excited and say, you know, Satan was, uh, you know, Satan was so excited and then the little demons were all doing their little dance at the cross and they were so happy to see Jesus go forward. And, you know, and, and some people have that perspective that you know, this is, Satan is so thrilled to see Jesus go to the cross because he doesn't understand what's about to happen. He doesn't understand that, that for once and you know, while he's celebrating, his head is going to be crushed and the keys of death and hell and the grave are forever going to be taken from him. So that's one perspective. And then I've also heard some people, you know, come from the opposite side. And they're like, oh, the whole time Satan was, was trying to pull him away from the cross. You know, Satan was, was beside himself because he knew, he understood that, you know, from prophecy and from different things that, that if this is going to happen, if he's going to be the lamb that is he's going to lose his power. So Satan is beside himself. He doesn't want this to happen. And, you know, he's weeping. He's mourning even as Jesus goes to the cross. So I've heard different people weigh in different ways. Here's my perspective. And I believe that, you know, the word's perspective. Was Satan, was Satan thrilled that Jesus would be put to death? Was he trembling in fear and beside himself at the prospect of losing his power because of the resurrection? Because we know Jesus is about to take the keys that so long were in the possession of darkness. I believe that Jesus, or that Satan was blindsided. And here's why I think that. It was not only Judas who brought them to the garden. 
because we read in the Word of God that Judas had been possessed by Satan himself. So as, as, as we see, Ju- Judas is not, the only, is not the only character in that frame even. Because he, uh, uh, possess, whenever people are possessed, uh, the word possessed, that, that means uh, that you are not your own person. Like you're not free to make your own decisions. You're not free to, uh, and for so many people who are bound and they are blinded by sin and darkness, and you and you you talk to the person you know who is constantly struggling with this with this immoral problem or this issue, and you're like, why don't you see? And if we would only consult the Word of God, we world. So you're asking why somebody you know, who who doesn't have eyes to see can't understand and see what you're showing them. Sometimes people who, who are bound by drugs, by, by alcohol addiction, they very well could want to be free, but they are not free to live according to the Spirit because the flesh reigns and they are bound in bondage to sin and darkness. Now, Satan, Satan wanted Jesus dead or he would have used his power, his possession of Judas to derail the whole thing. Now, honestly, if, if, if Satan didn't want him to die, didn't want him to be, you know, to, to be taken into custody and to destroy, and th- th- then you know, he, he would have possessed Judas and then took him off into some other field you know, and said, oh, I don't know where he is. And if that had been Satan's heart, he wanted to derail this. But no, he wanted to facilitate, he did facilitate the betrayal of Jesus. See, the battle is not physical, it is spiritual. Peter thought that he could win with a sword. And as I I paint this picture one more time, you have the servant of the high priest, the slave of the high priest who has come to lay hands on Jesus and to take him into custody. And so Peter takes his sword out and swings, and it's a very, very powerful um, and and deep visual right there. It's it's, it's a very, um, you know, it's, it's rife with meaning and power. Peter attempted to do kingdom work in the natural, and that never pans out. Firstly, you need to hear from God whenever you try to do kingdom work. If Peter had sought the divine will of God, Jesus would have told him not to attack. See, we're a lot better sometimes at bearing swords than we are at sheathing them. We're a lot better at swinging them than sheathing them, because that's natural. That's who we are as people. But if we will incline our ear and hear the voice of God, because Jesus, as we read in the passage of Scripture before, um, Jesus says you know, not to, but one of them does it anyway. So whether or not he, he is already in the act, it doesn't really matter. Um, if you're, if you're going to do spiritual warfare, if you're going to, to do kingdom work, then make sure that you've heard the voice of God, that you have read the Word of God, that you know for sure that you're doing the right thing. Secondly, if you attempt to build Christ's kingdom in the strength of your flesh, you will fail. There is nothing that we can do in ourselves that is of any account. Or comp- and honestly, uh, anything that we try to attempt to build his kingdom that is born of the flesh uh, will, will, by the Spirit, we will reap spiritual fruit. Thirdly, if you attempt to attack the kingdom of darkness in your flesh, you'll fail. 
So, you know, that, that, that's, that's kind of a paradigm right there. If you, if you try to do the things um, that, that are good in your flesh, you can't do them because they have to be born of the Spirit. So uh, even though Peter is trying to do right, he's trying to actually, you know, make sure that, that, it's a, it's, that, that Jesus, you know, is honored, right? He's honoring God. Sometimes we can honor God, but we can get so in the flesh um, while we're trying to honor God and trying to do the right thing um, that, that it becomes the wrong thing because your spirit is wrong. Whenever you're in the kingdom, if you do the right thing in the wrong spirited way, it's, it, it, it's still wrong. You've got to have a spirit of purity, of love, of mercy and grace and compassion whenever you try to execute those things. So if you try to do you know, good things in the kingdom, but you do them in the flesh instead of the spirit, it can, be, it can lead to trouble and disaster. Likewise, if you do things um, and you try to attack the enemy, if you try and actually step into somebody's life without being covered in prayer, covered in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, um, you're, you're, you're going to get beat up a whole lot more often than not because you can't do the things that you're trying to do in your own flesh. You can't set that, that, bond, that person who's in bondage free. You can't affect them the way that they need to. You, you've got to be led of the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit. At one point, um, there, you know, there's to actually be a part of a ministry. We'll start our own little deal over here, and then um, we're going to, to, to be you know, just like Jesus, but they didn't have the power. They didn't have the true anointing. They didn't have the ability, and so they, they got beat to half to death by these demonic spirits, and they all left the house naked and afraid. You can't do kingdom work in the flesh. Apostle Peter sees that immediately as he is rebuked yet again by Jesus. Sister Lindsay, if you'll come, I appreciate it. Malchus is an interesting character. I said his name is Kingdom. He's a kingdom man. He is a, uh, honestly, uh, to me, he's a picture of the kingdom. More interestingly to me, though, he's not his own man. How many times do we reach out and attack, but that person we're attacking there's a spirit behind it. And so we attack the person who's being abused and used by that spirit. We attack them in the wrong way. He's not his own man. He belongs to somebody. He is under someone else's power and authority. He's doing the work of the person who has enslaved him. And so in this context, he's the one that's, that's closest. Uh, here, here's a little something for you. Uh, whenever we're in pain whenever we're disappointed, whenever we're discouraged, um, people tend to reach out and strike whatever's closest to us rather than being mature enough to see where is this really coming from? You know, husbands, we got to watch ourselves because sometimes we can come home and, and take problems and issues and hurts out on the person who hasn't done anything, but they just happen to be closest to us. You know, wives... How many times have you, have, you, have you given that attitude because he was just there? <laughs> you know? He didn't do nothing. You don't know nothing about that. You don't know about that person that looked at you wrong or you know, said something to you. So oblivious. You know, that poor husband don't know what's going on. He don't know left from right. He's just over there minding his business. But he's the closest to you. And you've had a hard day. And so you reach out, you swing, and you hit whatever's closest. Whenever people are hurting or frustrated, um, they swing and they hit whatever's closest to them. That's what Peter does. Honestly, Peter takes a swing and takes a, a chunk out of um, 
the only person who's probably blameless in the whole deal. That guy's a slave. He hasn't made a decision. Really, I mean, he's... What? Okay. Him? The first one I'm going after is Judas. Are you kidding me? Come and kiss Jesus and betray him and then everybody pounce on him. Are you kidding me? Judas, how could you? That's who I would, I would be like, I can't believe this. We, we sat together. We watched miracles. What are you doing? You know this is God. What have you done? Why are you doing this? This is our Jesus that we love. How could you? Man, that's who I would have gone after. I'll tell you that much. You know who else? I'd have gone after Caiaphas. They're like, they're like, okay, I know you've been tracking us for a long time. And every time we do anything right, do anything good, you know, you're always there being a smart aleck and saying, oh, you shouldn't heal on the Sabbath. You shouldn't do this. And then always, always, always you're on Jesus' case. And Jesus has never done anything but love. He's never done anything but, but be kind and, 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 and good and heal people. And, now, and you're too much of a coward to do it when the lights are on. So now you're going to do it now. So I'm going to, mm. That's who I would have gone after. But, like I said, we tend to always swing at the person who's nearest to us. And a lot of times, that's not the right person. Most times, that's not the right person. Because there are spirits at work. Whenever we see that, you know, that, that, that homeless person or that drug addict or that person who has betrayed or hurt you, um, let's, let's hate the enemy that destroys lives, not people. And we, we're disappointed when people make wrong decisions, but, uh, but let, let's, let's, not, let's swing at who's really the target that, that we need to have. Like I said, I, if, it'd been, if I'd been Peter and I had to pick, I would have gone after Judas first, and then I would have tried to get through to Caiaphas after that, and uh, you know, the last person would be just like you know, the, the yes man, the kingdom. But I'd still be wrong because the real enemy in that situation was Satan and he couldn't be hit by any blade. He can only be thwarted and destroyed and rebuked by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the blood of the Lamb, by Jesus. When we get frustrated, we take it out on the very ones that Christ came to save. So I want to end with this thought from that impacted me from Pastor Taylor and I've mentioned it before but I want to reiterate it in this passage of scripture um, I didn't understand what Malchus's name really was I mean I, I'd never read it you know read it quite like this um, Malchus means kingdom Jesus came for people Jesus came to save those who were enslaved. They're unable to do you know, the, 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 the righteousness, uh, uh, you know, the good things. Like we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're bound. You know, the, the word of God says uh, that we have been blinded. You know, and so until Jesus Christ comes into our life and transforms us uh, by the renewing of our mind, the spirit of God you know, uh, makes that difference. Uh, we're not able to be who we should be. And Malchus, who's just a slave, he's not there because he felt like taking a stroll at 3 a.m. 
He's not, uh, he's not there because he has a personal vendetta or he has anything to gain. He's just there because he's under the influence of a spirit of religion, a spirit of the enemy, a spirit of hatred that hates Jesus and everything that he is about, and he is there. So you need to start looking at maybe some of the people that God has put into your life to minister to and say, you know what? I'm tired of just beating on you. I'm tired of, of the way that you do, but I am now going to target and I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to seek God and I'm going to say, I know that, that, that you are blind. You're a slave. There's another spirit that is involved here. There's a spirit behind it and start to attack the actual problem. And Peter does the exact opposite of attacking the problem. What he does is he attacks and he cuts off the ear. Now, why do we have ears? So your mom can grab them and lead you around. Why do we have ears? To hear. I believe ears to hear. And we can't be changed unless we, you know, the Word of God says, how will the people hear unless they, unless they have a preacher? Unless, or a, and how, how, unless we go unto them, how are they ever going to know the truth of God's Word and what He has done on Calvary? They have to know, they have to receive, they have to hear what is going on. They have to hear the gospel. And if they don't hear the gospel, then how are they ever going to be transformed by the gospel? They have to hear. And I'll tell you one thing that it's really hard to hear with no ears. And so in his zeal, in his, um, in his love, in his devotion to Christ, he actually takes out his sword and, and removes from the kingdom that Christ is dying to save and to birth and to bring into, in, you know, into the world the only way that they can actually hear. So let me tell you this, my friend. You can be zealous for God in the wrong way and you can attack people instead of spirits and you can attack people instead of sin to such a degree that you will remove their ability to hear truth and I have seen it done there are people right now who I am friends with who have a terribly terribly hard time hearing me say something as simple as that Jesus loves you and the church ain't such a bad place we're all now who I can say that to and it's cold as ice. They didn't start out that way. There are people who I can say that, you know, that, that, that righteousness and purity and holiness before God is, is good and that's something that's, that's been instituted to protect you, to, you know, to, to, to increase you know, your borders and to make you more like Him. It's, it's a blessing. And, and immediately, as soon as I talk about what the Word says about issues in our lives, things that we don't like, immediately, I can tell somebody has taken a sword, maybe with the right intentions, and they have removed, and they have struck, and they have, they have injured in the wrong spirit that person's ability to receive truth. I tell you what, as, as a minister, I'm telling you what, that is some hard ground to plow up. Talked to somebody just the other day. And that person didn't even have like a wrong, bitter spirit towards church. Just broken. Just broken. And he was so confused on what love sounded like that he just, I felt like he couldn't, I felt like he couldn't even speak my language. So confused because that sword had been out and hurt people. And that spirit, man, that can be about anything. Sometimes it can be just about a pharisaical attitude and then adding more to the Bible. And then sometimes it can be somebody who accuses everybody else of being Pharisees everywhere. It's every. But 
the Word of God would say this. If you want to impact the kingdom, you have to do it in love. If you want to impact the kingdom, you have to do it with the right spirit. You have to hear the voice of God. Don't just use, don't, don't just go out and start swinging. Have understanding and understand who the real enemy is. Amen.